Welcome, welcome, one and all, to Books and Beer Review, a drinking podcast with a book reading problem. This is our booze-soaked twist on the classic book club, where we, your hosts, take it in turn to report on a recently read piece of literature. We do the legwork so you don't have to. But before we get to any of that, we must review the brew, bicker about the liquor, and wine, wine about the wine. So please sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Books and Beer Review. We took a short little winter break there for the holiday season, but I'm glad you stuck with us because we are back with some fresh new pieces of literature. Before we get to any of that though, we of course have to talk about what we're drinking. Craig, go ahead and start us off. All right, so um, I am trying a very new beer to me. It's called uh, American Orange Wheat Ale. It's, uh, I actually got the beer because of the company that brews it. It's called Bastard Brothers. And whenever I was Bastard looking through Brothers? Bastard Brothers, it just looked the most interesting to me. Um, yeah, that, that looks interesting to you? That's yeah, I just like go found or something, or where's that? Um, that's a good question. If my eyes didn't suck, I would actually be able to see this, but I'm old. You spent all that money like, fixing them. Yeah, well, I fixed them for the long vision um oh, okay so go put it on the shelf and look at it yeah something like that um let's see this is oh wow this is in high ridge missouri high ridge okay I wow somewhere around here but i know where that exactly is where uh, well this is a this is actually a fantastic beer i'm a pretty big fan of um orange flavored beers though so um i think i had the shock top the uh mm-hmm one on here before this taste i would argue better than that is this a wheat ale did you say or mm-hmm. did you say yes yeah. it is a wheat ale i feel like that's kind of your uh that's your wheelhouse there it is um i could not be happier with this uh selection out of my i have a little liquor store that's just down the road here little uh local liquor store that uh uh, the guy I go in there and he asked me, he goes, Oh, you want me to get anything? I was like, if you got more stuff like this. Yeah. So you got sort of like a beer sommelier there that can recommend stuff for you. I need a word for that for beer. I, I think it's more like, Hey, people that come in here, I'm just going to buy that stuff so that you sell it because, you know, he's not like, you know, it's not like a dirt cheap or something like that. We're getting hundreds of thousands of people coming in or something. Sure. Sure. All right, very cool. Uh, Seamus, speaking of very, very cool, usually I have something interesting. What are you drinking tonight? Today, I have Bell's Porter. So, very fancy name. Uh, it's from Bell's Brewery up in Comstock, Michigan. And it is, they didn't try to get fancy with it, as you can probably tell by the very basic name. It's a traditional porter. You know, I, I don't think Bell's really needs to hype themselves too much. Bell's is yeah. it's, it's a it's a fine brewery. They do good they do good work up there. Yeah, I was I went there. I guess that was two years ago, three years ago. I don't know, but it's it's really good beer in person. This one's this one's really good for the uh, style. It's everything you want from a porter. The you know the darkish, malty, slightly roasted taste. It's really good. I enjoy this very much. All that stuff I don't. (laughs) 
All right, and rounding us out here, I am still nursing my advent calendar, uh, beer calendar. So I have another uh, fine entry from the fatherland. <clears throat> and uh, the, the label on this, I don't know if you can read this. This is so stylized. I actually could not read this. But luckily, it says it's like right here in like normal print. It's H-O-S-L, but it's Unlaud and O. Hersel. Hersel. I was an R, though. Uh, well, it's not really R. It's uh, umlaut means an E after it, so it's O E. So it's Hessel, like yeah, like Hessel. Hessel, yeah. yeah. Okay, and that's it's from uh, Privat Brewery <laughs> in Mitterreich, uh, Oberfalz, and it is. I'm assuming this is the style of beer, a Martzen beer. I don't know what that means, but it's got a picture of Lederhosen on it, and um, let's see here. Oh, Mertzen is also known as Fest Beer, so it's the Oktoberfest beer. Oh, that that makes a lot of sense because that is not that's about what this tastes like. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, to be quite honest, a lot of these German beers have been coming from the Advent Calendar. I don't know if I have a refined enough palate to really distinguish too much between them, um, but that isn't to say that any of them are bad. They've all been good. Because well, they just, don't mess uh, around with crazy ingredients. Yeah, it's, German it's beer all that. And whatnot. Exactly. It's all that stuff. So you kind of, yeah. But no, good stuff. I'm, I'm happy with it. And those. Well, that's are perfect the then. Um, well, why don't you talk to us a little bit about this book here that, that you've uh, read or listened to or enjoyed in some sense? Yeah, you don't know. I, you know, I don't know how to read. Um, <clears throat> All right, I'll tell you about the book by telling you about a movie first. Have you guys ever seen John Carpenter's Vampires? No. It's from like 1997 or something like that. So when I was a kid, my parents rented that from Blockbuster or something. And I remember seeing bits and pieces of it, and it scared the living crap out of me. Um, and this kind of began my, my lifelong minor phobia of vampires. But so anyway, some years later, as I'm looking through Audible on what I could listen to for free because I'm trying to conserve the credits, and this book shows up, and it's just called Vampires, uh, with the S uh, being a dollar sign, which is a red flag in my book that immediately yeah. pisses me off when you do stuff like that, or like if you use a number three for the letter E, you know, but somehow a, you got over it. <laughs> Yeah, well, because I read, I read the synopsis. Look at you, like, breaking into new territory here. <laughs> but yeah, I, I should have done this for Halloween, if I'm honest, because this kind of fit in the horror genre better than what uh, I ended up doing really does. But so anyway, so this is a, a novel about a band of vampire hunters that hunt vampires for profit. That's why that's where the dollar sign comes in. And it's sort of like, it, it very much still takes place in our reality or one just like ours. There just happens to be vampires existing. And it's it's still not common knowledge. So our reality is what you... So the, 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 I guess the, the question is, uh, how would one advertise for these services? Well, that's it. They don't have to because if you have a vampire's problem in your town... You're probably dead. <laughs> where it gets around. Well, yeah. You're, well, you're going to seek out help. I think, I mean, I guess to answer your question, they don't address it. I was going to say, what do I like Google search these guys and like they show up? Like, are they going to do they have a Google My Business page? Yeah, the best like I could provide is for vampire hunting. Yeah. The I mean, what pages? The pages. Yellow pages. I know. All right, Does anybody even that. have those books anymore? Yeah, I, I put my, my kids on it when they eat. You know, <laughs> seat. 
Um, no, I guess the best way I can answer that question is that this group of vampire hunters is sort of loosely affiliated with the church, the Catholic church. Okay. So I would imagine sort of a thing like this weird shit's going on, like people are disappearing, and then we find them later with all their blood drained out. Let's call a priest for an exorcism. Priest can't figure it out, so the priest calls the Vatican. Vatican calls these guys, I guess. Okay, this- okay. So they might be dispatched by the church. Okay. Yeah, none of this is explicitly stated in the book, and that's actually a point of confusion for me because they are like loosely supported by the church, but not so much that they don't also still charge. A yeah, I mean they they subcontractors for their services. So the reason why I brought up John Carpenter's vampires at the beginning of my little spiel is because I found out after I read the book that uh, the movie is based on the book. Oh. Um, which is funny because I remember at the time. So I'm lo- I'm reading the or I'm listening to the audiobook and it says copyright 2010. So I'm thinking this is a pretty recent book, and they start getting into describing how they how they hunt the vampires and the way they do this is, um, they'll go to a house that they that is a confirmed nest, in in the broad of day because you never hunt vampires at night obviously, and they will go in as a team, where you'll have a couple Just of guys set it on fire. Done. You would you would think that, but for whatever reason they they don't do that. So there's there's two ways they do it in the book. One of the ways is that'd be that, a short book. That's why. I guess so. If you use common sense, so they, they go in as a team, and you have a couple guys with pikes, and they're just there to keep distance, like keep the vampires at bay. And then one guy has a crossbow, and he shoots them with the crossbow, and the crossbow is connected to a cable, connected to a winch, connected to a jeep. And the guy, there's a guy outside that'll hit you know, oh, hit the pull switch them into the, jeep, the sunlight. Pull them into the sunlight because that's the best way. Like in this world, vampires are like way stronger than like crosses don't work. Garlic doesn't work. Mm. Uh, bullets don't really work. Um, stakes don't really work that like well. Holy water doesn't work. The, no, the... pretty much sunlight is the only thing, especially because there's there's different grades of vampire. This so is like, kind of like going right along with my theory that you should just torch the house. Yeah, well, the, the, actually, they'll, they'll the do that. Values of the community. The problem is, is yeah, they they typically won't. What they'll do, they'll blow up the house if they'll get the if they'll get the go ahead from the, you know, the city hall or whatever. But usually they don't. They don't. And I think a lot of that's because like the mayor and whoever like doesn't want this to get out. Well, in general, nobody wants it to get out. The church doesn't want it to get out. The vampires are real. I don't know why. Yeah, because that seems like that'd be really good knowledge to know. You would think like it's not like. It's not like an asteroid coming towards the Earth where all it would do is cause a panic and there's nothing we could do about it, so you want to keep it secret. No, it's like, as a species, we could probably unite and take down these vampires inside of a year, just the sheer numbers. Because you don't get the sense there's a lot of them out there. They, you know, they exist kind of in small numbers. But so anyway, we have to have a book, so we have to have... Right. You got to suspend the disbelief. Right. right. So there's different grades of vampires. Um, if you're, like, recently turned, they call them goons. And it's basically like, think like a zombie cross with a vampire. Like okay. they're more or less brainless. They're not sentient. All they know is the thirst. And so they'll just kind of come right at you. And they're not particularly strong. They're pretty easy to dispatch with. I think those ones you could even kill with like a stake. But then if it's a master vampire, which is someone who's been around for a while and has turned a lot of people or whatever, they're really hard to kill. In fact, they said they've never been able to kill one in, at night. The only time you've ever been able to kill one is in the day, pulling it out into the sunlight. So the book starts off much the same way the movie does, right after they, they clear out this nest. And just to show you these guys, even though they're affiliated with the church, they're not really saints. There's like this huge party where they like tear up the town. Like they literally rob a liquor store 
to get enough booze to have this party. They're having prostitutes come and everything like that. Um, and they're the trying to character- do some research to see if there's any other vampires there. <laughs> well, yeah, that actually that would be some three D chess stuff because what happens is the main character, whose name is Jack Crow, is not really having that great of a time at the party because he can't escape the feeling that something's not right because they think they killed the master vampire, but he wasn't 100% sure. But he, what he knows is whenever you find a nest, the master vampire is always there with all the goons that he turned. So I was like, well, this is, you know, it's never happened before. So we must have killed him. Sure enough, this vampire, master vampire shows up at the party at night and just like fucking murders everybody. Mm-hmm. Like literally it's just Jack and like his other right-hand guy who escapes. And the way they escape is that one of the priests who's part of the team, like they always have a, priest on the team to do blessings and stuff like that uh, rammed a cross a silver cross into the vampire's forehead right before he was killed and it like kind of burned the vampire's head but you know it wouldn't really hurt it and then later when the vampire's on the truck and they're trying to escape they just take a gun and they shoot it in the head which they knew wouldn't do much but they thought maybe it would get it off the truck and they were surprised at how effective it was because it turns out what happened is there was some residual silver, some holy silver left on the vampire's head. When they shot it, they drove the, the silver into the vampire's brain. And so while it didn't kill the vampire, it like severely incapacitated. Like gave it um, the equivalent of like blood poisoning or something. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, they, they, great take, they go through the point of making sure that you know that it's not just the fact that it's silver, it has to be holy silver. Right. Um, so they come up with this theory that if they make silver bullets out of silver crosses that were melted down, that that could maybe not kill a vampire, but they could use that effectively um, to sort of like slow them down long enough to get the shoot them with a crossbow, pull them out into the daylight. Um, but Jack's team's completely destroyed. He's just got one guy left. I think there's a couple other people that weren't at the party. So he's got like a team of four, but he used to have like a team of a dozen. Right. And so he goes back to the Vatican um vatican sends him home with like a priest like a new priest but that's it really and so he's got like this team of just a half dozen or so people and i think they'd be like how how are we going to trust you with a new team whenever all you guys do is just like blow your cover pretty much as soon as you do a big job so they get into this vampire obviously found you afterwards well that that's i'm glad you brought that up because that reminds me The, the 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 big thing about this occurrence too was the vampire knew Jack's name. Oh, okay. He knew his name was Jack Crow. That's like that's the first time anyone's ever been made. So it's like that's that's bad news. If vampires now know who like the head, like the most famous vampire hunter is, this Jack Crow guy. But anyway, so they developed this plan about the silver bullets, but they decide they needed somebody who's really good with a gun because none of them use guns. They always use the crossbow and the pikes. So he has to go recruit recruit this old friend he knew from way back when. And I won't get too much into the details. But um, chaos kind of ensues with that when they get contracted to go do their next hunt. Um, and it turns out that that vampire who got away from before shows up and causes all sorts of problems. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I would say the first part of the book, the part that I've just summarized to you is not terribly interesting because it's kind of colored by numbers. But after that part, it actually starts getting kind of interesting. And also, too, if you've seen the movie John Carpenter's Vampires, this is where the that everything I said up to this point is pretty close in line to what happens in the movie. And then okay. everything after what I just said, the two depart wildly. Right. The movie just goes in a completely different direction, not even the same story. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was it was actually a pretty fun read after that. So the second half of the book kind of makes up for the first half. 
Yeah, it's almost so. What I probably told you there is probably maybe the first quarter to four, first third. Oh. Okay. And then there's some, and then there's some interludes after that. Some like where they jump back to things that happened years ago, that um, aren't necessarily part of the story but are relevant to it. Oh, okay. So it's it's kind of hard to judge how much of the book is after that, um, story wise. It doesn't talk about how Jack got into this career. <laughs> And is Jack um, Crow his actual name? Like, did they plan on him being a vampire hunter by giving him a name like that? Actually, neither thing is addressed. I will say in the movie, um, Jack Crow's parents were killed by vampires and he was like taken in by the church and raised to be a vampire hunter. Very kind of a bland origins, but I guess it's better than the origins the book gives. Um, the book doesn't, the book actually doesn't sh- focus too much on Jack. Like he's the main character um, but at a certain point in the book, I'd say maybe uh, probably about halfway through, the main character shifts to a different person. Really? Um, yeah, and I can't say too much more on that without giving away major plot points. Okay. Well, I was wondering if maybe the main focus on this is the story of like this underground kind of thing that's going on in this vampire having some type of role in like how hunting is changing so yes and no you do get more about that vampire that got away later in the story you actually get to like see some of the you get to see a lot of the story not from his perspective but from the perspective of one of his victims okay because the vampires don't necessarily always kill you or turn you sometimes they keep you as like a familiar like they enthrall you as a slave um and it's like the sort of thing like if a vampire if he feeds on you every couple of days like you're basically powerless to say no to him you're kind of his slave but if a long enough time passes where he didn't feed on you you can kind of regain your sense of self um and then you're usually you know racked by guilt and ptsd and all the horrible things you were made to do because you remember everything um and you kind of get that you get that perspective from one of the characters later in the book and it's i think that's actually probably the most interesting part I think that would be interesting too. Um, And it it sounds like vampires in this, like vampires have always been pretty powerful creatures. It sounds like, especially these, you know, alpha type, these Mm -hmm. master vampires, um, they are very formidable. Yeah. So like in the movie, you'll see someone like gun a vampire down with a machine gun something you'll like empty a machine gun into them they'll fall over and they'll ah, hurt and they'll roll around on the floor but they'll eventually get back up in the book it's like you could sit there and shoot them and they'll barely flinch they're just like whatever mm-hmm. and they, they'll heal they'll heal up faster than you can put holes in them right. which is yeah. why up until they figure out the silver thing they really don't use guns yeah that definitely seems like that'd be something you want the whole world in on yeah it, it like is figuring this thing out. okay okay well so tell me what would you give this book out of 10 brass tacks brass tacks if you're just a normal everyday reader like myself i probably just call this like a high six low seven out of ten um now if you're somebody who's sort of like a vampire aficionado like you you're into the vampire stuff you read a lot of Anne rice or god help me twilight um you know maybe you would like this more i feel like this is a book my mom would probably she was really big into like interview with the vampire mm. and the vampire Lestat and all that stuff. She kind of likes it because there is an element of that sort of neo-gothic thematics with these vampires. They're not the, uh, they're not like blade vampires. They're not the uh, 30 days of night 
vampires. They're not the uh, I am legend zombie vampires. They're still very much sort of like, I'm going to be sexy and seducing right up until I slit your throat and drink blood out of your, you know, your gaping wound kind of vampires. Okay. Um, which I think some of that is lost in the movie. The movie's a lot of fun, though. Check out the movie if you've never seen the movie. Did you say who the book was written by? I did it. Uh, John Stakely. Uh, Stakely. It's, oh, it's spelled S-T-E-A-K-L-Y. Oh. Maybe it's Stackley. Maybe it's Steakley. It, it should be Stakely like because Stakely. of vampires. But So, um, okay. So six, maybe six, maybe seven out of ten. A little yeah. bit ambiguous. Um, to, <laughs> I do have a couple of bones to pick out the book if you have time to hear it. Um, yeah, sure. I feel like we've already kind of thrown our lot in with some of the bones that we have with the book. Bones to pick it, with the book. Yeah, that's really, these are nitpicks. Well, one of them is in terms of the where some of the writer's weaknesses are, because it seems like a lot of times everybody's smoking in this book, constantly chain smoking cigarettes. And it comes off to me, it's just like, I need something for these characters to do right now. So I'm going to mention that they're smoking for the umpteenth time. And it's like, I, this was written in the early 90s. I feel like smoking still happened but it wasn't like as prevalent as it would have been in the 50s but, but they bring it up all the time people are chain smoking um and then the other thing and this is really just a personal qualm to me if you're not somebody who's really familiar with like firearms and how they work and stuff this probably won't bother you as much they constantly refer to magazines as clips and that's a pet peeve of mine most guns do not use magazines certainly not the guns being described in the book and yet there are there most don't use clips excuse me they use magazines, and yet they're constantly, it's like, oh, he reached down and loaded another clip. So that bugged me on a personal level. But, uh, it just, it's got a more uh, aesthetically pleasing name, Clip. Yeah, I, yes, I, yeah, I, I think more. Clip is more pleasing name. Well, you can say a mag. That's what I'll say. Like, <laughs> load another mag. But anyway, um, I to me, it just reeked of like not enough research was done. There's little things like that where he's, he seems to only know what like one or two kinds of guns are <laughs> when he's talking about the guns. Like it's always a Browning automatic is the, which is not an automatic gun by the way, but he calls them Browning automatic. It's really a semi-auto. It, it, never mind. It bothered me. <laughs> All right. So people that like vampire books would enjoy this. And yeah, you said it was so. free on Audible, so that also means that, you know. I say it's included. I don't know. Yeah, like so you get it, you listen to it without using a credit or anything like that. I mean, the other side of this is I, I would not be surprised if you were into vampires. There's probably a good chance you've already read this book. It's kind of like me recommending Interview with a Vampire. Like this is sort of, I don't know if it's quite that prominent as Interview with a Vampire. But it's I mean, sort of it, like in that realm. well enough, well known enough to get John Carpenter to get made to yeah to a John Carpenter movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, think the like one thing of his that's, last. So, like, I actually don't like vampire stories hardly at all because, like, I think they're just usually pieces of shit, in my opinion. But um, I, the thing that I do like is like the monster aspect of yeah. vampire, where they are very powerful and they're very succubus-like in yeah. some ways. Um, so, and it sounds like, like this story does a good job of tying in the actual monster of vampire. Yeah like me i think you would be very interested um in that latter third of the book where it's talking about just sort of the psychological aspect of being enthralled mm -hmm. to a vampire it's it's very much like a sort of abusive relationship allegory right. um you'd probably be more interested in that than anything else 
Um, another note is um, some of the depictions of both race and gender are pretty outdated in this book. Uh, sort of like some of the other books when I talk about books that were written a million years ago or things are blatantly racist. There's right. a little bit of that here too. This doesn't have the benefit though of being written in 1930. It was written like 1990 something. So, right. yeah, like, what kind of things? Like he's like just stereotypes or what? Well, it seems like anytime there's a they talk about someone being poor, they're always black. Uh, which, you know, that's just a little bit. Oof. And then just the way, and I guess some of it is to how the characters to paint just who the characters are. The characters are all pretty misogynistic, and how uh, they treat women. Um, but the women themselves, the way the females behave in the movie is very stereotypical. Like you don't get the sense that there's a lot of female agency. Right. Right. You know, they're, they're, it's a lot of they're damsels or they're meant to be emotional support figures. They're not really living, breathing figures in their own right. It's so it's sort no of Craig. Vampire hunters on the team that are female, I guess. There's like one, but she's like literally it's supposed to be like the team's den mother. Like she just she like does everyone's laundry kind of thing. Oh wow. Um, and like she commands a lot of respect and everyone loves her, but yeah, she's not like a badass vampire hunter chick. Craig, it, 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 honestly, it's a little bit sort of like in Undying Mercenaries, how you're saying B.V. Larson doesn't really know how to write female characters very well. Right, yeah. Like he writes yeah. really weak female characters. Actually, um, I had a conversation with somebody and um, in a couple of weeks, whenever I review the book that um, I am going to review, I'm specifically going to review a book where I feel like the author does a good job of writing female characters, which I think that many in particular, I think it's male and female authors uh, have the same struggle where they just write shitty um, female characters because mm -hmm. if they're going to write a powerful female character, they try to make them like a male. Right. And yeah. Power like, through violence. Yeah. And, and you're actually. like, you know, like if that doesn't necessarily make a good male character it's definitely not going to make a good female character right um i think most of us can agree that even though men may enjoy the like action hero types they mm. aren't they aren't fun characters there's no development there yeah. right there's no evolution it's just like easy like stuff that guys may be interested in but as far as character development that's not that and a lot of times i feel like whenever female characters are written it's so easy just to be like, oh, I'm just going to make this like a guy where they're super rebellious. They don't mm -hmm. believe in authority. Um, they're always right with things and they're tough as nails. And if you say something wrong to them, they're going to punch you in the face type thing. Yeah. And you're like, is that really a strong and character? And when they're made into a movie, they're played by Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you see that a lot in movies too. Like when you think of like the most archetypal, like some of those famous badass women in cinema, it's like when you got your Ripley from Alien, your Sarah Connors, uh, the bride from Kill Bill. You could rewrite all, all those characters as men and nothing would have to change. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing, you know, distinctly fe feminine about, about them. And I don't mean feminine you know, lowercase f, like it's got to fit certain gender norms. I just mean, there's nothing uniquely female about it. Um, 100%. Yeah. Okay. I might have a book like that too next time, actually, because uh, this might be one of the first books I've read in a long time with a female protagonist. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad that but you shared this book with us, though. Next time. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, uh, can you say the name of the author of that book one more time for us? Right. 
So this book is called Vampire, sometimes stylized with a dollar sign S, sometimes not. And it was written by John Stakely. That's S-T-E-A-K-L-Y, I believe. Right, perfect. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, it was a decent read. Well, thank you for that review and thank you all for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star review so that other people may be able to find us and they can get a good idea of if they may like some of the books that we review on here. Uh, There's nothing worse in the world than reading a book only to get to the end and find out that it was all crap. You didn't like it. So sometimes getting other people's opinions or views on it it can really help save you some time and help you find some good stories and some good recommendations. So until next time. Real quick, real quick, Greg. It's S-T-E-A-K-L-E-Y, John Stake. I just want to get that correction on the record. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this. And until next time, we wish you well and enjoy the book you are reading. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. We hope that you found it enjoyable. If you have any books of your own that you feel like would be great for us to read and to review on the podcast, or if you have any comments about any of the books that we've reviewed, please email us at booksandbeerreview at gmail.com, or you can visit our website to listen to more episodes of different books that we've reviewed at booksandbeerreview.podbean.com. Until next time, happy reading.